0: If you would bow with me in prayer before we open God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this beautiful week, this time of year that just screams of your majesty all around us. We thank you for that. We thank you for this place that we have to come and gather together as your people. We pray this morning that as we open your word, that you would lead and guide us in all truth. We just confess that we can't do this without you. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would move and guide and teach us as we open your word. We pray that you would apply the truths of your word uh, to our hearts and our minds that you'd continue to shape us into your image for your honor and your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, many of you know, I, I've mentioned this uh, multiple times before. I think uh, my undergraduate degree was in architecture. Uh, I went to uh, the greatest school uh, in the nation, Texas A&M University, and studied architecture there. Uh, but as I was there um, going to school there, I remember taking different art history and uh, architectural history classes and, and thinking about uh, uh, the different architects and, and different ones would kind of resonate with you different times or different architects. And, and I remember taking a class, one of the early classes I took, and you were going through different movements of architectural history and different styles and different things. And there was this particular architects, uh, two brothers named Charles and Henry Green, Green and Green. And they they did a bungalow style American arts and crafts in California. And I just resonated with me. I love the houses they did great craftsmen, incredible style, big overhangs and exposed wood beams and all these different kind of exotic wood they would use in their houses. And they're just really, really cool. But there was this one house in particular. It's called the Gamble House. And it's famous. You still study it in school today. It's actually a museum now in Pasadena, California, where it was built. And what's so remarkable about this house is the entire thing, the the whole house, all of it, they didn't use any nails or screws in the entire house. Even in the framing. And it's because the craftsmen that built this and built it in such a way that they used all these overlapping joints and all these special joints. They used wood pegs to put it together. Uh, the entire staircase in the house is built out of wood with these different pegs. And so the craftsmanship is incredible. And so you study it and you talk about it and everybody will go and they don't build houses like this anymore. It's amazing that they could do this. And if you learn more about it and you hear about it, they'll tell you about uh, all the different craftsmen that were part of it and how they worked together and the intricacy of the design and the way it came together. And so you still study it today for all those reasons. And it's really an incredible house. I was thinking about it this week, just the neat uh, picture of how all those pieces worked together, how they had all these different people coming together to actually make this house possible. The guys that designed it to the guys that built every single part of it. And it, it kept coming back to that because I was thinking about what we've been talking about in Genesis. We've been in Genesis. This is our third week now as we have started to look at the book of Genesis. And this morning, what we're going to kind of zoom in and focus on is this idea of men and women and the way God's created us. And the way that God has intricately made men and women different in some ways. He's made us the same in a whole lot of ways. But together, the way we fit together shows us more fully God's glory. And so the way that it fits it is this beautiful picture of what God is doing. And so that's what we're going to think on and look at together this morning. I want us to look in Genesis 1, just a couple verses, and then Genesis 2. So we get the fuller picture together. Uh, as we've talked about the last couple weeks, Genesis 1 moves in big pictures. It's very poetic and it's retelling. It's the big picture of the way God created And then Genesis 2 zooms in and gives us some more detail. And so we're going to look at both of those because it talks about the way he created men and women in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. It puts those two together to give us a fuller picture. And so I want us just to think at this image that's here and see what the Bible actually says. Uh, You may be surprised at some of the things it says, what the actual words tell us in Scripture. But we're going to get this picture of men and women, a healthy picture of what the Bible says. And this is the way I want us to look at it. First, how are we the same? Because there's some things that it says God did equally in the same way with both men and women. And so I want us to think about that, how we are the same. Then secondly, with the way God reveals himself and tells us how he created, how are we different? And then lastly, why did he design us like that? Why did he design us with these differences and these similarities? And how does that go together to show this picture of what God is like? And so I just want to remind you what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Let this kind of fly over everything we say. Uh, we've been talking about that God creates us in his image and after his likeness. And we are to glorify God. We say that uh, we use that language a lot in the church that God has created us to glorify him. Glorify means to reflect back what God is like. Uh, he has placed us in his creation as his image bears to reflect back, to show what he's like. Uh, I've started using that language with my kids all the time. Instead of saying glorify God, say we get to show people what God is like in the way that we live in this world. And that's the way God created us to be, to, to reflect back or to show what he's like. And so just keep that in mind as we walk through all of these similarities and differences and then why God did it like that. And so let's just start with how men and women are the same. <clears throat> Very important ways that we're, we're the same. And so look at Genesis chapter one, verse twenty seven, Pew Bible. Uh, if, if you're new or you're opening up, easiest to find page one, right? Genesis first book, first chapter. That's where we are right there at the beginning. Genesis one twenty seven. And God says this. So it says God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And so just big, big picture. Pretty obvious, pretty straightforward, but we need it needs to be said that God creates both man and woman in his image after his likeness. And so when we think about this and we get this picture, God creates men and women equal in worth and value that I know that's obvious. Hopefully that's really obvious. Sadly, you look around our world and it seems like we don't know that, that God has created men and women equal in worth and value. We are both made in his image. Uh, what God tells us here is Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, are descendants. No matter what you believe about Genesis 1 or how old the earth is or any of that kind of stuff, we touched on that two weeks ago. Uh, all scientists, all people believe that humans came from two people. We can go back to common descendants all the way back. Everyone agrees on that. And so the picture of the Bible tells us is that it's this Adam and Eve that is created in God's image, and so that means men and women are created in God's image, equal in worth and value. But that also means that every tribe, tongue, I can't talk, every tribe, tongue, and nation over the face of the earth, all people are created in God's image. And they're equal in worth and value. And the Bible tells us that clearly, which, by the way, that should, as Christians, put an end to all sexism and all racism. If we really believe what God's word says. And so first, men and women are created in equal worth and value. The second thing I want you to consider is what he tells us that they're both created in God's image. He created them both. Both of us created in God's image. The picture that God gives us is that men and women together show more fully what God's like. Now, men alone are created in God's image and we are his image bearers. Women alone are created in God's image and image bears as well. But together we more fully show what God's like. And so when we think on that and just think about that big picture that's there, uh, that idea of reflecting back. Maybe you've heard this analogy before. I may have shared it at some time in the past, but the idea of a mirror, right? A mirror reflects back an image. Uh, if you actually take a mirror apart, there's some parts to it. There's there's a plate of glass and then there's a foil backing that goes with it. If you look in a mirror, that's the way they're made. If you take those two apart, it's a good analogy for men and women. The glass itself will reflect back. Right. Like if you look around in these windows or you go, I can see the light in the in the glass of the window. I can see it, but it's faint. I can see through it. It doesn't give me a perfect image, but it does reflect the same with if you take the foil backing on its own. It'll get crumpled up and it'll be distorted, but it will still reflect back and give you an image. But if you take the two together and you put the glass and the foil backing together, now it will reflect back a very clear image. And we could say the way God has designed us, men and women, equal in worth and value. But there are differences there. You bring the two together and more fully we reflect back what God's like together rather than on our own. And so it's important for us to say that men and women are equal in worth and value, but they're also equal as image bearers and we need one another. It's invaluable it's very important for us to see that both go together to fit, to show more fully what God is like. And so uh, we, we reject the idea that men are more like God or women are more like God. But together, the picture is we reflect back what God's like. And so those are very important kind of big picture ideas. I want you to think, just, just plant the seed here, because I'm going to come back to this over and over, why God does things the way he does that he would take two together and make us reflect back more what God's like together rather than just one on our own. And I think, I think maybe that's to show us what God's like. Maybe that's to show us more fully what God is like. Because we talked about last week that God is the Trinity, three in one, living in perfect unity and community and love all in and of himself. And so he creates us Two people to, to come together to show more fully what he's like. So maybe he knew what he was doing and he was trying to show us more what he's like. But then the third thing I want you to see is look at Genesis 128, right? So he says at the end of 27, male and female, he created them and then 28 and God blessed them talking about the man and the woman that he's just created, he's just created the male and female and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And so what we often say, uh, theologians will talk about Genesis 128 is the cultural mandate. God's given us this mandate to take the earth and subdue it and, and, and have dominion over it to be his image bears ruling over the earth. And what you'll notice there in Genesis 127 and then 128, that he creates male and female equal in worth and value equal as his image bears. But then he gives them together the charge to be over the earth. He blesses them and then says to them, you're going to go and and have dominion over the earth. And so when we talk about what God sets us out to do. To be over his earth, to be his image bearers. He says, men and women, you're going to do that together. And so I want you just to see that those pictures of of equal in all these ways that God's given us. And so you get the picture there in Genesis one big picture. Genesis 2 kind of zooms in and tells us in more detail the way God's going to do that and the way he set out to do that. And so what you see in chapter 2 is that uh, God places Adam in chapter or verse 15 of chapter 2. Then God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And then he tells him uh, this command, which we'll come back to in verse 16 and 17. But then in verse 18, he says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Right. So he's put him in and he's allowed him to start to take over and and subdue the earth and do these things. And he's doing this work. And then God says it's not good for him to do this alone, that he needs a helper fit for him. Now, when we read that language in the Bible, he needs a helper fit for him. Oftentimes today in our culture, we will recoil at that. Right. The woman's the helper fit to help the man. I don't like that. Right. And it's okay If you feel that way, that's all right. Like there's something about that that we kind of go, wait a second, I'm not sure about that calling her the helper, but I want you to think about the picture. I don't know about you, but sometimes when you read that, what comes to mind uh, for me is like the idea of helper, like my kids helping me like daddy's little helper here. Hold the hammer while I do this and then give it to me when I need it. And, And they're not really helping, but they kind of act like you kind of act like they're helping. And so sometimes we put a negative connotation with this when we read it in that way. Right. A helper fit for him. But let me just uh, remind you or show you that in Scripture, two times here, it talks about the woman being a helper for the man. Same word is used 19 other times in the Old Testament. And the other 19 times it's used, it's used to refer to God helping us with something we can't do. Right? That, that's the image that's there. And so when we think about the woman being a helper for the man and we're talking about this idea, equal in worth and value. Equal and image bear coming together to show more of what God's like is that the woman is a helper to help fulfill this picture more fully of what God's like to, to complement men in ways that we don't have that we need. And so it's kind of like um, when you help your kids with their homework and they don't know how to do it and you come along and you help them to do it. You need a helper to kind of show them part that they don't see. The same is true with men and women equally together. We need one another in that relationship together. And so what we have in this big picture that God's trying to show us more what he's like in the way he's done this is that men and women are equal in worth and value. We're equal in being image bearers before God to show what he's like. But then also that God has this plan for humans to live out in his, his world and he has equal worth and value for us to be involved in that so it's a pretty incredible picture of what God is showing us and how uh, forward thinking the Bible is, especially when God uh, uh, inspired for this to be written down. The things that Genesis 1 are huge in what it tells us of what that looks like. And so worth and value, equal as image bears, and equal in doing these, things to get, <clears throat> doing these things together. So here's the second thing How are we different? There are some differences. Uh, between men and women, I think we would, most of us would agree that that 's true, and so very first thing again i 'm going to start with the most obvious things. God says he takes Adam and he 's placed him in the garden, he falls up, puts the sleep on him to create the woman, takes her out, and then comes and presents the woman to adam verse twenty five says they were naked and unashamed that 's because there is no sin. There's no uh, bad anything that is entered. Everything is perfect and pure in the way God designed it to be. And so he brings them together. Very literally, uh, they're, they're, there's no hiding anything. There they are. Anatomically, the differences would be very apparent to both as they stand face to face. And what happens is Adam starts singing. Right? He breaks out in song. That's, that's what it says in verse 25. This at last His bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And it's set apart like that because it's actually a poem. He's actually singing a song to women, uh, to this woman that God has brought to him in her beauty and how it completes everything. And and he's so excited and he's overtaken with us. And so this idea of men trying uh, to woo women with songs starts right here with Adam. Right. He sees her and he's overwhelmed and he starts singing and so there's this picture here of God bringing her. And so we'd say uh, first difference. First difference is anatomically, they're different. They, they look a little different. They're obviously both human, same species, but there's some differences going on. Those would be readily apparent to both of them. And so he brings the woman to the man. That's the first part. Again, that's, I know that's obvious. That's a big picture, but we still need to see it. And, and I want you to think about why God would do that. Right. Right after that, it says that God presents the woman to the man and he says the two shall become one flesh. If you didn't pick up on that, this is the first marriage in the Bible and God presides over it, which, by the way, that means marriage is God's idea. And it's one man and one woman in a monogamous relationship forever. That's the picture that God gives us. And the reason I think even the way he puts them together, man and woman, even down to anatomy for two flesh to become one is maybe just maybe to show us a little bit what God is like. And so that's what he does first. But then the second thing I want you to consider is is the differences of the way he creates them. He creates them a little bit differently. Chapter two, verse seven says the Lord formed the man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Right. So you get the picture. God bends down, literally gets in the dirt and forms with his hands is what it says. And he forms this man and he puts him together and he breathes into him and he comes to life. And he crafts them and he spends time. And there's this intimate relationship as God is the creator with the man in that picture. And it's this beautiful picture. And then he takes the woman And he creates the woman out of the man. Look at verse 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and he closed up its place with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Right. So you see the difference. He gets down in the dirt and he creates the man and he breathes life into him. And then the woman, he, he causes a deep sleep to come and he takes her out of the side of the man. Uh, by the way, men do not have one less rib. It's an old wives tale. That's not true. Uh, it, it's not even necessarily a rib, but it's just, the word really has to do with his side. It came out of him, part of him, and he creates the woman from that. And so the men's from the dirt and then the woman's from the man. And that's the way God does it. And he does it differently. And so there's an obvious theological truth here. Men are Dirty. Right. He takes us out of the dirt. No, that's not the obvious theological truth, but he takes us out of the dirt and then he forms her out of that. But I want you to think about why he does it the way he does it. And there's a couple things. He takes time to create each one individually, again, equal in worth and value, equal as image bears, equal in having a relationship with our creator God of the universe, taking separate time with each. But also the way that he brings the woman out of the man, uh, I I think, again, is, uh, is hearkening back to what God is like. He's showing us part of the way the Trinity works, the way the father images forth the son and some of those things that are there that God's showing us what he's like. And he's doing this over and over and over all the way through this. And so you see those two. But then there's one last difference I want you to consider. One last thing that happens here. And it's different in the way he responds to him. It's in verse 15. Right. So the God creates the man and he breathes life into him and he has not created Eve yet. He places the man in the garden. In verse 15, it says he put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so I want you just to consider that God takes time. He creates the man and then he gives the man this command before he even creates the woman. And you go, why like that? Why this difference? Why does he speak this to the man before he speaks to the woman before she's even created, that he gives him this instruction in this way? And so I want you to think about what the instruction is, because this is a very important point that we'll return to in a week or two. But I don't want to just gloss over it. There's a tree in the middle of the garden and he says, don't eat of that one. God, that's the command he gives to the man. And so what often happens when we get to this is we go, well, was it an apple tree? Right. That's what the kids books show an apple or people talk about a fig tree or all these different things. Uh, The truth is, it doesn't matter. We're we're getting way out of the, the point of what God's doing here. He places this tree in the middle to say, I want you to live this life close to me trusting in me. God's inviting Adam into this relationship that you're going to make me the center. You're going to rely on me and what I tell you. So just trust me. You don't want to eat from this one tree. And what it represents is a choice. You can choose to center around God and put your trust in him or you can choose to do it on your own. And that's what it is. That's the picture that's there. And so God gives this command to Adam And I think the picture of what God's showing us, and this gets fleshed out in the rest of the Bible. We see this uh, very clearly in the New Testament in different areas as we see the fuller image of what God was doing. But God gives this command to man in this way before he ever creates Eve. And he's showing him that you're going to be a spiritual leader in your home and in the church. And I've made you in this way to do this. And this woman that I'm going to take out of you, that you're going to be under your arm to protect and care for her. And this is what it looks like. You job number one men with your wives is to point her back to God as the center of all things. And that's what he's showing him. And that's what he's teaching him right from the beginning. This is what it looks like. You're going to continue to point her back to what that looks like. And so he gives him this picture of what it looks like to put your trust in God. And he tells that to Adam and he does this to show us to complement the way men and women are going to work together. And the picture that it's going to be, that's going to show a fuller picture of what God is like. That's still what he's doing here. It's still the way he's working. But there's a real uh, uh, important point I want to make before we move on, before we kind of bring this together on why he does it like this. Him speaking to the man first in this way and doing this before he created the woman does not mean that man is more spiritual than woman. It does not mean that. And if we start to assign that, we're going well beyond what Scripture tells us. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that man is smarter than woman. Right. That goes back to point one and two. Equal in worth and value. Equal as image bearers, Equal in this charge that God's given. That's not what it means. If you know my wife, you know that's certainly not what it means that man is smarter than woman. Right. We just established this in my house the other day with my boys. We all took a vote. We all agree that Joanna is smarter than me. And that's good. God's God's greatly blessed me in that with a woman that is smarter than I am. And so this certainly doesn't mean that. But then thirdly, it doesn't mean that men cannot learn from women on spiritual matters or this is a one sided thing or that's what it looks like. But he does give us a picture of the way he wants our homes and our church to function in the way he says that. And so here's the thing I want us to consider with all of this. The similarities and the differences. Why does God do it like that? He's very deliberate in all these things that he does in his creation. God can create in any way. He can speak things into being. He could speak man and woman into being at the exact same moment in the exact same time in the exact same way. And he chose not to do it that way. So why? Why did he do it like this? And I think the answer is to show us what God is like to glorify him more fully. And I want you to consider why that is and what he's saying in the picture that it looks like. By the way, I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say that because Paul says this exact same thing in Ephesians five. God has spoken in his word and said this, that through creation and man and woman and the two becoming one flesh and the way I've put this together, this is to show you what God is like and what Jesus is like in the way that he loves us. He says, I did it this way on purpose and that reason. So I want you to think about all these different things and why this is practically so important right, we can get to this point and you go, great. You've pointed out all these different things that are just clearly in the Bible and there they are. But so what? What does that have to do with anything? And I would tell you, all our issues in our marriage, in our world, between uh, sexism and even racism in a bigger way in these different areas is because we've missed this. Because we miss that God has done all of this to show us what he is like and that he is the center of all things. But here's the problem. We've made a relationship between men and women and even more particularly within marriage to be about my personal fulfillment and what I want. And I make it all about me. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying that in marriage and the relationship God gives us that it brings us happiness and it brings us this fulfillment and all these things. You see that right here with Adam, right? The first thing he says when he sees that is, is wow, right? Like, look at this. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, this is a good thing. But our problems become when we miss the way and why God gave us this good thing. He gave us this good thing to show us more what he's like, that he would be the center and it wouldn't just be about us. It's something far greater than that. And when we settle for that, we end up with all kinds of problems. The same is true in our culture at large with inequality. When we miss what God is doing with his his value and worth and image bears and all these things, and we make one less than the other or we begin to use or see uh, male and female as objects. There's a huge problem in our culture, probably more one sided for men to women than women to men. But it works both ways. We see the opposite sex as an object to give us pleasure instead of as an image bearer that is equal in worth and value before God. And we've exchanged the truth of the way God made it for a lie and it's a mess. And so when we see the picture of what God was actually trying to do or, or what he was actually doing in this, is he's showing us more fully what he's like. And so I want you just to think about the picture that's there and what he's teaching us and all these similarities and all these differences. Last week, we talked about God's image, that God is perfect uh, community, love, unity, all within himself before he creates anything. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the father imaging forth through the Holy Spirit, his son, that is the exact imprint of his very nature, perfectly working together, loving one another, reflecting the other. That's the picture of who God is. And so I want you to think about the things that God does. He creates a man and a woman anatomically a little bit different that they would fit together in a very particular way to show what happens when two flesh become one. It's a little bit like God in the Trinity, is it not? Or we could say when we start to look at it, that men and women together create life. Right? A man and a woman, the two become one flesh and then a child is born out of that, just as we see God creating God creating with the spirit there through the word that is his son and he creates life by doing that. He does the same thing with man and woman. The two come together to make this together, that he would allow us to do it in that way. Or we'd say that he takes the woman from the man to present her back to this picture together. And then we read in John that Jesus is the only begotten son of the father who's going to come to bring back his bride to the father. And you see all these images and these pictures of what God's doing all the way through it. Or we get into this picture here of God speaking to Adam first. And he says, I want you to follow me in this way. And he gives it to Adam before he gives it to the woman. And he's going to go and tell her this. And he's supposed to be in care and protection of that Later in Ephesians, it will say, husband, love your wives as Christ loves the church and wives submit to your husbands. Another word that we go, right? Helper and submit. We go, I don't like that. But the picture that is there is exactly what we see of Jesus with God, the father. Jesus will say, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus will say in the way he operates in his relationship with the father is I don't speak anything that the father doesn't show me. That doesn't mean that woman doesn't speak anything that her husband doesn't say. That's not the picture. But what you do see is the perfect picture in the father and the son of leading submission, the way they work together for God's glory. God gives us the same charge to show the world more fully what he is like. And when we begin to see the way he's doing this in all these ways, he says, men, you're supposed to love your wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. Do you realize what that means? You are to lay down your life for your wife. You're to love her and to serve her in the same way that we see Jesus doing that throughout the Gospels. The way that we see Jesus doing that is the way that we should love and serve our wives. And the reason God gives us that charge is to show more what he's like all the way through every part of it. And so when we see all that, the truth is, if we if we come to that and we begin to look at that, uh, what we'll become very aware of very quickly is we don't do that very well. It's really, really hard. A lot of these things. When we look at this picture, it's difficult to do. I would go far so far as to say it's impossible in and of ourselves for us to do this. And we've blown it over and over in all these ways. So how in the world do we ever do it? How do we ever actually begin to live out this picture of making our relationships between men and women, whether uh, single together in the church or in marriage or any of those? How do we make it all about showing what God is like? If you've ever been here before, you already know the answer. The answer is Jesus. Jesus comes and does what we can never do for us. He comes and he lays down his life for his bride, the church. He says, I'm going to do what you couldn't do for you. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to take your sin on me. I'm going to do this I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring you back to this relationship you were made for with the father. And I'm going to do all that you could never do for you. He takes our sin. He dies for us. He gives us his perfect righteousness. And he does this completely and totally. And so as we come to faith, as we begin to reorient our lives to the way that we were made with God at the center through what Jesus has done for us, he begins to change us from the inside out. He begins to redeem us and remake us the way that we were designed to be, to love one another in the way that he's called us. And we begin to see that each person that you come into contact with as you go throughout your day, each male and female, whoever they are in every way is equal in worth and value before God. That they were created in his image and we were created to do this together to show more fully what God is like. It is a wonderful gift that God gives us. And so when we begin to see all the mess of relationships around us, even in our own marriages and our own lives. How do we begin to do this? We die to ourselves in the same way that Christ has died to us as he has formed in us because he does it. It's through his grace and all that he's done. He begins to change us and shape us and mold us to show us more fully what God's like. And we get to be part of that. We get to live in that showing what God's like each and every day in the way that he's called us to be. And so God's given us a high, high calling in creating man and woman in his image that we get to show what he's like. Let's pray. God I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the image that you've given us that all throughout your scripture this picture of a wedding uh, of a man and a woman of all of this is just pointing us to the glory of what is to come. When you claim when you come to reclaim your bride the church, those that have put your faith In you and that we get to celebrate with you in a wonderful feast because of what you've done for us. I pray that right now today as we go, as we leave this place, that you would give us opportunities to love and serve one another in the way that you have loved and served us. That there are relationships between men and women, between men and men and women and women and all that we have in our lives, that it would point back to the way that you've loved us and the way that you've designed us and that it would make much of you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.